Hey, my name is Phil, and this is my wife, Meredith, and we are the pastors here at Cornerstone Church. We're so glad that you have connected with us here today and that you're getting ready to listen to a message that we know is going to build a resilient faith in your life. Right now, in this moment and in our days ahead, let's continue declaring Jesus over every situation. Enjoy the message. Ephesians 6, 10 through 20. I'm looking at my notes and I accidentally wrote three 10 through 20 in my notes, but our scripture is 6, 10 through 20. So you guys, I don't know if you guys have this or not. Do you have it? You guys in the room, you can stand with me because we're going to read this portion of scripture together. Tracy, can you hand me my Bible since I messed them up? I'll read it from my Bible instead of the screen. Sorry, guys, that's totally my bad. They're so good back there. All right, we're gonna read this together. Ephesians 6, 10 through 20, if you have it. If you have it and you can see that your buddy next to you doesn't have it, since I gave them the wrong screen, can you, you guys, you're so fast. If you don't have it, they fixed it. Come on, let's give a clap of hand. These guys are amazing. Thank you, guys. <laughs> All right, Ephesians 6, starting in verse 10, it says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against cosmic powers over this present darkness, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. That's what I was just talking about. Therefore, Take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you are present with us. We thank you that you see us and that you know us, God, and we thank you that you have equipped us with all authority, that you have equipped us, God, with spiritual weaponry to defend and to withstand the powers of the enemy, God. I thank you for your finished work on the cross, and I lift up your name for what you're about to do in this room right now, God. I thank you for what you've spoken to me, and I ask you that you help me to declare it boldly, God, in a manner worthy of the word that it is, and I ask that you give us hearts to receive it, God, and lives that are altered and changed by what happens in these moments that we have together. In your mighty name, amen. Amen. Thank you. You can sit where you are. I think posture is a pretty funny thing. It's like an odd 
thing sometimes to think about. I spend way too much time thinking about posture because I grew up doing like competitive dance, which means I did years of classical ballet training. Like ballet where they dance like on the toes, you know, I did that for years. So when you do classical ballet training, you spend a lot of time talking about, considering, discussing your alignment, your posture, the way you're standing and holding yourself. I can tell you where every element of my body should be aligned with every other element of my body because I've spent a lot of time talking about it. And it's weird because then you start observing other people's posture a lot, and posture has this massive impact on us, on our bodies. It's way underthought about. And we just walk around in all kinds, like there's all kinds of weird posture as well. You guys wanna hear about some of them? Yeah. yeah. So there's the weird thing that people do where like your neck is just like forward away from your body. Have you ever observed this? Like it's like they're leading with their chin. This is really bad for you. It goes way back here. Your ears should be in line with your shoulders, right? That's what my ballet teacher said. It's also what my chiropractor says, by the way, right? Because when you do that, you add and create pressure that your neck shouldn't have. There's also weird things we do where some of us like hunch our bodies too far this way and others of us hunch our back too far the other way. And both of these create terrible pressure on your lumbar system and on your, um, what's this called? Your, like your spinal cord. And it creates all kinds of issues with like your nervous system. And it creates all kinds of issues with your skeletal system, which get really bad as you get older. Like, I know you think being in the gym and like lifting 400 pounds is what's keeping you fit, but you know what keeps you more fit for longevity? Great balance. Great balance will keep you when you're old. Great balance will keep you healthy and fit as you age. If you wanna age well, I mean, you can lift your weights, that's good, but you should work on your balance, which comes from your posture, which comes from your alignment. And of course, we have a massive issue now with all of our devices that all of us spend all of our time like this, hunching our neck over. They've even started to find some um, like young people who have spent a lot of time like that that are having like this additional cal like calcium growth in between like some of their vertebrae because of the way that like the neck is like that. And that's really bad as well because we're just like, you know, spending so much time hunched over. But when you think of bad posture, you think of classical bad posture, I like to call it. Classical bad posture is shoulders hunched over, body sullen over, and you're all collapsed over, and your head is down. This is classical bad posture. And do you know what it does? It's not just that it's bad for like your back. It shuts down your organs. It crunches your organs so that they can't even work properly. It scrunches up your organs so that they can't get proper blood flow. Like there are issues that you're potentially having in your body that could be largely helped, maybe even rectified by just simply standing up. It also impacts your diaphragm, which is how you get air to the rest of, in your body and to the rest of your body. When you stand up, your posture is affecting all of this. As we've already discussed, it's impacting your muscles and the way that they work and hold the rest of your body in place. It's impacting your backbone and the way that it holds your body in place. And what's on the inside of your backbone? All of those nerves that make the whole rest of your body function. All of these things are being impacted simply by the posture that you have. 
And there's more. It impacts your mood. It impacts your mental health. The way that you think about yourself and the way that you think about the world and the way that you interact with people around you is impacted by the way that you're standing, by the way that you're sitting. Potentially, I'm not a counselor, so this is not official advice, but potentially some of your outlook on life could be helped, could be rectified, could be fixed by really just sitting up. See, what you do when you're slumped over and sullen and shrunken down is you're making, in some ways, an agreement with when the enemy says to you that you're not worth anything, when the enemy says to you that you're not valuable enough, when the enemy says to you today is too heavy and too burdensome and you're, you're not strong enough to carry it anyways and you slump over and you shrink down, in some ways you're agreeing with the statement that he's made and our bodies take it on and we agree with it, maybe not with our words, but with the way that we respond. And so when Paul says to them, stand up and stand therefore, He's telling them, spiritually and physically, your posture matters. Spiritually and physically, he's saying to them, there is something that I want to tell you about the way that you carry yourself, about the way that you hold yourself, about the way that you walk around, that you are a child of the living God, that you have been equipped with all heavenly power, that you have been given a full armor of God in the spiritual realm. Don't slump yourself over, stand up and stand on guard. Put your shoulders back. Put your ears in line. Put your hips in alignment to stand firm and stabilize yourself. Stand therefore. Last week we talked about this idea that our foundation matters. Today I want to talk to you about the fact that your posture matters. You can ask somebody or put in the chat and say to them, how's your posture? You can say to them, how's your posture? Okay, come on, guys. We're going to be a little bit more interactive. I want you to find a person to the right or to the left of you, your favorite person in the room, and ask them, how's your posture? There we go. That's the church I know. I didn't mean to throw you there. My goodness. And I see some of you sit up a little bit straighter right now, like your grandma just walked in the room. How is your posture? Because as Paul lays out this letter to the church in Ephesians, and he has told them and gotten them to this place, and now he's telling them that he knows that there is a spiritual battle on hand, he starts off by encouraging them, by admonishing them not to be those who are shrunken over, not to be those who are timid in their response, but to stand. You know, if you find yourself walking down an alley late at night, Let's say there are two individuals and they find themselves walking in a dark alley late at night all by themselves. And there is a devious person hiding and lurking in the darkness who wants to attack and steal from this person. The number one thing that that individual is looking for, whether consciously or subconsciously, is the posture of the individual. The way that they carry themselves. 
They are looking to see when you come out and you have that long road from your work to your car, do you walk timid and looking down and shriveled? Do your eyes shift from the right to the left like you're uncertain? Are you making yourself look like you would be an easy target? Or when you walk up, do you stand straight with solid footing, with eyes alert, looking, staring back at them with a stare that says, I wish you would. I wish you would. Paul is saying to them, because when someone is looking and seeking to attack, the thing that that person is looking for is basically two things. One, do I think that I will be successful if I attack this person? And thing two, how hard or how easy is that going to be for me? And they are looking for an easy success. And so when they look at you, they are assessing not based on your race, not based on your gender, not based on your age, although those factors may come in, what they are really assessing. Do I think that I can overtake this person easily? And the question is, when the enemy sees you, does he see someone that he thinks he can overtake easily? Or does he see someone who knows that they have been given the full armor of God? Does he see someone who stands with shoulders back and chin up, looking back at him like, I wish you would. I wish you would try and come at my family. I wish you would try and come for my business. I wish you would try and come for my mind because I have been given a full armor of God. I have been given the power and authority of heaven. And he looks for a people who are standing on guard. And as Paul walks through this to the church in Ephesus, he is walking them through this idea that you have been given something that makes you ready for battle. He is reminding them that there is a real battle at hand here. He is reminding them that there are spiritual forces that desire to overcome you. And this is an interesting part. It potentially was more of an aside in Paul's letter than it is to you and to I. Because in the ancient uh, mind of the day in the first century mind the the physical natural world and the spiritual realm were not quite as segregated as we tend they saw them as an intertwined part of their reality that of course we are living in this physical space and at the same time there are spiritual forces at hand and those two things are happening simultaneously together. They didn't quite see it as segmented, as separated as we tend. We tend to think of and say things like, how's your spirit life? And if you would have said that to a member of the church in Ephesus, they would have said, you mean my life? What is this spirit life that you're referring to? What is this spirit realm? How is my spiritual health means? How is all of my health? But we have tended in the Western world, in the Western mindset in 2022, I got the year right this week, in 2022, to think of our spirit life as over here and our natural life as over here. And this is kind of a thing I go and do on Sundays. 
And then, wait, yeah, and then this is the rest of like what I do in my life. And, and what I do over here might be some devotional time in the morning, but then I leave that and I go into the rest of my life. But that's not really what Paul is laying out for them here. He's saying, no, 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 all of these things are happening meshed together as one. What you do in your physical and what you do in your spiritual are not separated from one another. They are entwined together. They are part of the same. You are both spirit and flesh. You are both heavenly and earthly. You are part of what's happening. If you can remember all the way back to from dust at the beginning of the year, part of what we talked about is that when God made man, he made him from the earth of the ground, saying you are earthen vessels, but then he breathed the breath of heaven into him, saying you are also spiritual beings you are both earth and heaven at the same time there is not your spirit life over here that you tap into sometimes and your physical life over here that you tap into these two things are combined and are joined together it's why when we do something like the A21 walk, it is not just a physical thing that we are doing. It is a physical demonstration of a spiritual reality that every place our feet step, we are making a proclamation that this is a line and you can come no further from this space. Your spirit world is intertwined and I think people of God, that part of Paul, what Paul is trying to tell them is don't be surprised don't be surprised when spiritual forces come against you don't be confused when the enemy tries to combat you I wonder how many believers have been taken out because somewhere along the way we started believing that the life of a believer has been removed from the influences of a spiritual attack. And so when the enemy comes against us, instead of being those who are alert and are ready, we are those who are surprised and shocked and a little bit offended that God would treat us this way. Right? But Paul is saying, no, no, no. You have signed up to be part of the army of God, of the family of God, of those who defend the things of God in your territory and in your city. And he gives them this picture, this picture that would have been so common to the church there in Ephesus of the arm of the uh, wearings of a soldier. They would have seen Roman soldiers everywhere everywhere that they went. And so Paul uses this picture to explain to them that you have been equipped, you have been fashioned, and you have been fastened with the tools, with the equipment that you need for this spiritual battle that you are now a part of. And he tells them all you have to do is put them on. When you said yes to Jesus, they have been gifted to you. So simply pick them up and put them on. 
And as we talked about last week, we talked about the foundational elements of this. We talked about that he says to put on the belt of truth, that truth becomes this stabilizing force in our lives. It becomes the thing that stabilizes and that all of the other equipment has to be fastened into and hooked onto, that the belt, which this audience would have known immediately that the the leather belt was the first piece of armor that the soldier would have put on. And Paul tells them, I want you to fasten yourselves with a belt of truth and then put over you a breastplate of righteousness. That your righteousness that is yours in heaven through Christ Jesus and is yours through right living on here and now is a guard in your life. That when you put on that right living on on top of you, it covers you and it guards you and it protects you. It becomes the thing that covers your life and says that I have chosen to live in right alignment with God. And when I live according to his will and according to his desire it covers me from the plans and the attacks of the enemy and he said he has given you a belt for truth and a breastplate of righteousness and then he talked about their shoes of readiness that they are ready to go out with the good news of peace that the people of God have fastened on their feet a readiness a readiness to share with wherever God takes them, with wherever God moves them, with wherever God sends them. They are eager and ready and stable with a good news that you are at peace with God and you are at peace with other people. It is the irony that he is using a battle imagery of people who would go out and say, we have a message of peace. Because while our enemy wants to come against us to wage war, we say our good news is that we have been made at peace with God. And our good news is that we can live at peace with each other. And then he goes on and he says, you have a shield of faith. Your shield of faith, the shield of faith is the power to believe. It's the ability to believe that God is who he said he is. It's the ability to believe that God is true to his word. It is the thing that holds us and it is the thing that covers us. This shield is a shield that the the root word for this word shield is the same word as the word door because this shield would have been as big as a person's body. It would have been about four feet tall and about two feet wide and they would have have covered this shield, carried this shield to cover themselves in battle. And Paul is saying to them, he's giving them this picture that your shield of faith is this thing that goes out in front of you. It's this thing that leads the way and it covers you from head to toe and it covers you from your right to your left. The ability to believe in God becomes your shield of faith that guards you against the plan of the enemy then he says it has the ability to douse the flaming arrows of the enemy that the enemy likely will be shooting arrows at you that are on fire have you ever felt like you had a firestorm coming your way in life 
Have you ever felt like it's just one thing and another thing and another thing and another thing and the enemy is sending fiery arrows your way? And what this audience would have known about the shield that I didn't know, maybe you know, is that the shield wasn't just a wooden shield that covered them. Then the shield itself was covered in a leather, in a leather cover and a leather coating. And before they went out to battle, the soldiers would take that shield and its leather coating and they would soak it in water. They would soak that thing in water until it absorbed the water and then they would take it out so that it was covered in water and when the flaming darts of their enemies came against them, it would hit the water-covered shield and it would turn out and it would douse and prove ineffective the plan of their enemy against them. Now, I don't think it's too far of a stretch here to understand that all throughout Scripture, water represents to us the presence of God, the place that we go to soak into his presence, and that Paul is giving them a picture that your shield, your faith has to be covered in the presence of who he is that when we go out there is a presence of God that we have soaked ourselves in that there is a presence of God that we have lingered in that there is a presence of God that we have spent time in and that goes out first and when the enemy shoots his fiery darts against us that the presence and the plan of the enemy is ineffective to overcome us because we have spent time in the presence then that water starts to extinguish the fiery darts and plans of the enemy. Without that leather coating, without that water-soaked shield, what would happen is that the fiery darts would hit that shield. The fiery darts would hit that faith. And the, the shield would catch fire. And the soldier would hold on to their shield as long as they could because they knew that it was their first defense. They knew that it was the thing uh, standing between them and their enemy. But as the shield began to burn hotter and hotter and as the flames began to grow on this shield of wood that was catching fire, eventually there would come a point when the flame was too hot and the soldier wouldn't be able to hold the shield anymore and they would let go of their shield and let go of their faith. My God, people of God, how many of our brothers and sisters are we going to watch with their shields flaming in front of us, with the trying desperately to hold on to their faith, but that lie that the enemy has shot at them, that crisis that the enemy has shot at them has caught their shield alight and they are holding on to it with everything that they have but it is flaming and it is burning and what we need is a people of God who carry his presence. What we need is a people of God who know how to bring some water into a situation and say we're not going to let you drop your shield. We're not going to let you lose your faith. We're not going to let this flame overtake you. We're not going to let this dart of the enemy be more powerful than the faith that God has put on the inside of you. We are going to cover you with his presence, his presence that comes rolling in like a mighty rushing fountain, his presence that comes in with a powerful rain from heaven that extinguishes every plan of darkness for the enemy. It was imperative 
to the other soldiers that they ensured that the soldier next to them had a strong shield and had a covered shield because the shield was not just about the soldier who was carrying it. What the Roman soldiers were known for was their battle tactic, that they would take their shields and they would go out into battle and when they went into battle, the front line would lean forward and would hold their shield and would lock it so it overlaid with the soldier who was next to them and there were no gaps and there were no creeps for the enemy to pierce through. And then those who were in the second line would take their shields and they would hold them overhead and they would lock them on the wall that had already been created so it created a roof above them and they would lock them together so nothing could get in front of them and nothing could get over them. The shield that they carried and the faith that they carried was not just about guarding themselves and was not just about protecting themselves. Your faith is not just about what God wants to do in your life. Your faith is not only about what God is doing and moving in you. Yes, it's about keeping you safe and yes, it's about keeping you guarded, but your shield is also about the soldier that's on either side of you. Their shield is also about the warrior that's in front of you and the warrior that's behind you. He said they have given you a shield of faith and with this shield of faith we will guard the family of God. We will guard the people of God. We will create an impenetrable wall, an impenetrable fortress that says this is the place that God has given us to stand and you will not get through here and you will not pass here because I have come covered my shield in his presence and I have ensured that my brother to the right and my brother to the left have their shields covered with his presence and I have ensured that the sister behind me has a shield covered in his presence. There is a faith that is for the entire people of God. He says, I have given you a shield of faith and a helmet of salvation a helmet that you put on and you cover your head with, and this is the saving, redeeming power of God. It says, I have given you a helmet of salvation to cover your most critical part of your body. You cannot go far without your head. Guaranteed. Not a doctor, but I stand strong on that statement. You will not go far without your head. And so he says, to cover the most critical part of you, I want to give you a helmet of salvation, the redeeming, restoring, retrieving power of God that brings you out of the place of darkness and into the place of light. Come into this place this place of redeeming salvation. And he says it goes on the head because what happens in your head, what happens at the top of who you are impacts and affects what happens in the rest of who you are. He says, I need you to cover your mind with this salvation. 
I need you to renew your thoughts with this salvation. I need you to change the way that you used to think about things and the way that you used to hear things and the way that you used to see things because you have been made into a new creation and that new creation coming begins in the way that you see and you think and you understand things. As we celebrate water baptism today, it is a public demonstration that I am leaving the old me back there. And I have been born again. I have stepped again. I have decided to walk into a brand new me. And he says, I cover your head with salvation. And everything from you comes out of that place. And then he says, I have given you a sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. It's the only part of the armor that's offensive. It's the only part of the armor that is used for piercing and for attacking the plans of the enemy. He says, I've given you a sword in the spirit, a sword that works in the heavenly places. I have given you a sword of spiritual power and of spiritual implication. And what is this spiritual sword that you have been given that is sharp and that is able to cut and to pierce and to break through every plan and every power of the enemy and cut him off at his knees so he can't run after your family anymore? This sword of the spirit is the word of of God. He says, you want to fight this enemy? Fight him with my word. You want to fight this enemy? Fight him with my word. And I think about Jesus in Matthew 4. Matthew 4 is where we see Jesus. He's actually just been baptized. When you get baptized today, you practice and you participate in this ancient, centuries-old practice of believers everywhere, all the way back to Jesus. And I think it's so special and so cool that we get to do something that we know that Jesus did when Jesus was baptized. And he comes out of that baptism, and it says he has 40 days of prayer and of fasting, and he's sent into the wilderness, and then the enemy comes, and the enemy comes to test him. I'll let you read through it later this week for sake of time. But the enemy comes against him and he keeps trying to overtake him. He keeps trying to attack him. He keeps trying to get Jesus to get off of mission and off of focus and off of life. And every time Jesus comes back, with, back at him with scripture. I don't even think he really argues with him. He doesn't argue with him. He doesn't get in a fist fight with him. He certainly doesn't sit down and say, hey, let's chat that out for a while. No, he just says, this is what the word of God says, though. But this is what the word of God says, though. This is what the word of God says, though. And there are three times that the enemy comes against him, and the enemy is coming against Jesus, and there's lots of study about these things, but he comes against him, I think, for the hungers of our flesh. He wants to get him in the hungers of the flesh. He wants to get him in our pride and our arrogance and our hunger and our desire for power. He comes against him in those things. But what you will see in all three of them, which I think is at the core of every attack of the enemy, is his identity. God has just said about Jesus, this is my son. 
when he come up, came up from baptism. And every single one of the three temptations that the enemy brings against Jesus starts with, if you are the son of God. If the enemy can get you off of your identity, if the enemy can get you to question who God said that you are, if the enemy can get you to start to move outside of the person that God created and designed you to be, if he can get you outside of that, then you become open feeding season. But he's saying the word of God is the sword that you strike back with. When the enemy says to you, are you really A, B, and C? Do you think that's really who you are? You can say back to him the scripture that we have hidden in our heart, what the word of God says. We can say back to him, but God says about me that I am fearfully and wonderfully made. But God says about me that I have a right mind. But God says about me that I should fear not. But God says about me that anxiety is not my portion. But God says about me that I will slumber and I will rest. But God says about me that I will have long life. But God says about me that I am healed and that I I am whole but God says about me that I have been adopted into the family of God but God says about me that I am in Christ but God says about me that the same spirit and the same power that raised Jesus from the dead now lives on the inside of me but God said about me that my word is sharper than any two-edged sword but God says about me that he has given me the keys of heaven and that I am able to smite the enemy with his power but God has said about me do you know what God has said about you. Do you know what the word of God says about you? And I wanna challenge you like I'm challenging me. Do you know very many phone numbers anymore? Right? Mm -mm. Like two, right? Maybe. Like your best friend or your spouse? Workplace? I don't know. Right? Why don't we know what script, why, why don't we know phone numbers anymore? Cuz they're all in your phone. You can get to them like that. I don't really need to use that space in my brain anymore. Because it's stored for me. Here's the danger in that. Do you know very many scriptures anymore? I'm not telling on you. I'm telling on me. Because I can get to it so easily. I can look it up so quickly. And so somewhere back here, I'm like, I think, this is, what, this is how I find, I find myself. I'm pretty sure somewhere it says something about the mind of Christ. Something like that. Right? Because we've become dependent on the technology that's so readily available to us and it has its benefits and it has its, I love that I can look things up that quickly. And while I might not need to know phone numbers like that, I can't be in the midst of a battle with the enemy 
in my midnight hour when he comes to me to say, you're not really qualified for that thing that you think God called you to. I can't be tossing and turning at 1.15 in the morning when he comes to me and he says, you know what, that illness that's been in your family for generations, it's coming for you. I can't be in that hour going, I think it might say something about that long life. I think there's something. No, I have to have written in my heart. I have to have it inscribed on the inside of me. I have to be able to come back with the authority, with the power, with the strength that says, no, I know that the word of God says. And so I wanna challenge you with what I'm challenging me with of let's be people who memorize his scripture. Let's get back to posting up scriptures and saying, I'm not taking this one down until I can say it without looking at it. I'm not taking this one down. I'm gonna make a habit of coming here until this is inscribed on my heart so that when the enemy comes at me, I don't have to go look and find. Because you can go look and find. And you can call a friend. And you can get a concordance and that's why they're there and we should use them. But when you're in the midst of a battle, when the crisis comes at you, you have to have something on the inside of you that stands up quickly and that says back to the enemy, no, the word of the Lord has said, I have a sword that is ready. I have a sword that is prepared. It is slid in and fastened to my belt of truth. And I know that when I pull this thing out, it is covered in truth and it is sharp and it is ready to cut through any plans of the enemy because I have written his word in my heart. There are some practices of our faith that are worth changing and are worth adjusting. And there are some practices of our faith that we should hold onto with everything that we have. We have a church that meets here and online every single week. I'm glad that we have adjusted so that we can reach everywhere and everyone that God will possibly send us to. But we should not let go of the memorizing of scripture, of knowing his word deep in our hearts because it is the sword of the spirit that is the word of God. Do you remember our two potential victims from the beginning of service? One walking low and sullen and shifty, ready, basically, to be attacked. And the other walking with great confidence and stability, shoulders back, eyes gazing, looking straight in the eye of their potential attacker, ready to go. And we knew that of those two victims, the one who is most likely to be to be attacked is the one who looks like a successful and easy target. You know who for sure is not getting attacked? The person who is walking down that aisle full, ready in their armor, in their suit, ready to go. They have suited up. They have a sword that is ready with their hand on it, walking, and a helmet, and a shield, and a breastplate, and a belt, and shoes that have cleats on the bottom of them. Nobody in their right mind is trying to attack this joker because everything about them says, if you come against me, you are going to lose. They have taken on the full armor of God. 
When Paul is encouraging the church in Ephesus, he doesn't say to them, hey, take whatever piece of this you like best. Hey, put on the armor piece that you feel strongest about. Put on the one that works with your style. Put on the one that works with your tradition. Put on the one that's your favorite and your preference. No, he says, put on the whole armor of God. He says, the whole thing works together. And this is my fear. My fear is that God has given you a whole armor to be suited and to be ready in. And you, in the spiritual realm, look like a suited up soldier, ready to extinguish the flaming darts and ready to cut with the word of God. But in your own mind, you see yourself like that first person, weak, incapable, a likely victim, the next name on the enemy's agenda. And you walk around spiritually with your head held low and your shoulders sunken over, with your chest caved in, barely looking up, unsure of your surroundings. And my prayer for you today is that you would feel the strength of God rising up on the inside of you that you would hear the power of his word, that you would see that he has equipped you in the heavenly places, that he has covered you with the full armor of God, that you have been equipped with the weapons of heaven, that you are not weak and incapable, that you are powerful, that you are the enemy's worst nightmare, that when you walk into your school, demons tremble, that when they see you coming, they see that shield of faith and they know that their arrows are going to be extinguished, that when they see you coming, they know that salvation covers you from head to toe, that when they see you coming, they know there is somebody ready to share the gospel of peace, that when they see you coming, they know that there is a sword that will combat every lie and every influence of the enemy in your city and in your family and in your workplace and in your own heart and in your own mind that when you see yourself in the heavenly realm that you wouldn't see that small, shrunken, shriveled, ready-to-be-a-victim person but when you see yourself in the spiritual realm you would see the very power and essence of God that has been given to you that has been bestowed upon you that you would stand in your place that you would stand up with all authority that you would stand up with all power that you would stand up with all strength that you would say God has given me a place in this city and God has given me a place in his kingdom and God has given me something to do I am a warrior of the heavenly places and when the enemy comes to attack when he looks at me he hears I wish you would because my posture is battle ready my mindset is battle ready my armor is battle ready my spirit is battle ready. I just want to pray over you today. Heavenly God, we thank you that you equip us. We thank you that you empower us. We thank you that you didn't leave us open and vulnerable, but Holy Spirit, that you came to us. And God, that you have given us spiritual armor. You have made us powerful. You have made us strong, and so I speak 
over this church, God, that we would see ourselves as you see us. I speak over us, God, that we are dangerous to the enemy, that we are dangerous to the plans of darkness. God, that everywhere that we walk, we walk in your gospel of peace, God. That everywhere that we walk, your spirit, your sword of truth, your your sword of your word goes with us, God. I thank you that we stand shields linked together. I thank you that we extinguish the plans of the enemy because your presence has covered us, Jesus. And I speak over every mind, speak over every spirit, that a strength, a confidence, and a power is filling you today.